This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. The big international story this past week has been the news that Alexei Navalny, the leader of Russia's opposition movement, has died in a remote Arctic prison, or, according to his family and supporters, was murdered by Vladimir Putin. Navalny's death has caused international outcry and condemnation of the Russian state, even as they're heading towards an election that's basically guaranteed to keep Putin in power for the next six years. So in this quiz shortcut, we thought we'd talk all about who Navalny was and why this one man was so significant in Russia's politics, plus what his death might mean for the world. Squiz Shortcuts is your backstory to the big news stories. I'm Alex Tai. And I'm Siobhan Morin McFarlane. Siobhan, the news broke in Russian state media last week that Alexei Navalny, the Russian dissident, had collapsed in the prison where he was being held and later died. And at first, people weren't sure what to make of this news. Yes, and that's because Russian state media isn't the most reliable source of information, Alex. Mm. And there had been rumours of Navalny's death beforehand, but this time the news was real and was later confirmed by Navalny's friends and colleagues, including his wife Yulia, although even she was sceptical to begin with because she said that Putin and his government lie incessantly. Yes, but with Navalny dead, we thought that we should go way back to the start of his story to explain who he is and why he was such a significant figure in Russian politics. And Siobhan, the story starts with a young Alexei studying law. So after training and working as a lawyer, Navalny became active in politics in the early 2000s when he was in his 20s. But his advocacy work really took off when he started a blog in 2008, and that was used to document corruption in Russian institutions. He is in his early 30s by this point, and his blog posts about corruption and corporate wrongdoing in the energy sector were winning him fans throughout Russia. And then in 2011, Navalny used his internet platform to help spark some street protests against fraud in Russia's elections. It's at around this time as well that he began calling Vladimir Putin's ruling political party a, quote, party of crooks and thieves. And he was arrested multiple times over the course of those protests, all the while growing his popularity and continuing to publish investigations into corruption within Russia. And by now, the Russian state had noticed Navalny and was trying to shut him down. In 2013, Navalny was charged and then convicted on embezzlement charges that were largely seen as a political stitch-up. Yes, and what happened next was quite extraordinary. Thousands of Navalny's supporters launched a snap protest, and the very next day, Navalny was released from prison, just in time for him to run to become the mayor of Moscow. Yes, he didn't win that election, but he does come in second with around 27% of the vote, which just goes to show his growing popularity. And Siobhan, over the next couple of years, Navalny continues his work of documenting corruption and 
Because he is funny and charismatic and handsome as well and determined, he begins building this political movement around himself. That's exactly right. And Navalny used his momentum to prepare for a run for president against Vladimir Putin in 2018. But just a few months before the vote, he was barred from the election due to his previous criminal conviction, something that he claimed was purely a political move from the Putin regime. And it's after this point that the story takes a dark turn because in August 2020, Navalny fell ill on a flight within Russia. The pilot managed to land the plane and get Navalny some emergency medical attention, but he came very, very close to death. And his family fought hard to have him taken for medical treatment in Germany. And that's where doctors say they found traces of the poison Novichok. Now, if you're not familiar with that, its use dates back to when Russia was the Soviet Union, and it's a frequent weapon used by the Russian state against dissidents because it can be very difficult to detect. Now, we should say that Russia denied using Novichok on Navalny, but world leaders began to demand answers from Putin about Navalny's attempted poisoning. Putin calls allegations of poisoning unsubstantiated. But then Navalny wakes up from the coma that he is in in Germany and he began his own work on figuring out who poisoned him. Yeah, it was pretty incredible, Alex, because he worked with investigative journalists to figure out that a group of Russian state agents had been following him around and he even managed to track down their names and phone numbers. Then, just a few months later, after the attempted poisoning, Navalny released a short movie on YouTube titled I Called My Killer, He Confessed. (laughs) Right, so it's with his usual flair that Navalny calls one of the men who tried to poison him and on the phone got that man to unwittingly admit to putting Novichok on Navalny's underpants. So yes, as you say, it's pretty extraordinary, Siobhan. Yeah, it really is. At this point, Navalny was still in Germany recovering from the poison attack, but he makes the decision to return to Russia, even though he knows that he's going to be arrested and thrown into prison. And that is exactly what happened in January of 2021. Navalny returned, he is arrested, he is thrown into prison, never to come out. That is coming up next. This week, our podcast is brought to you by Aware Super. Superannuation can sometimes feel like just another overwhelming life admin chore. But as a member of Aware Super, you'll have access to lots of free online tools to help you, like their My Retirement Planner, which allows you to see how much you might need for retirement and comes with an easy to understand plan of how to get there. Read the PDFs and TMD at aware.com.au. We know that the last three years of Alexei Navalny's life were spent in Russian prisons facing charges that he and his team say were political attempts to silence him. Yes, but having said that, Navalny uses his courtroom appearances to poke fun at Russia's crooks and thieves in government, as he is still calling them, and (laughs) despite being hit with a 19-year sentence, Navalny becomes known for continuing to write love letters to his wife Yulia from prison – and for maintaining his ambition to outlive Russia's corrupt state. That sadly wasn't to be, though, because we know that Navalny was recently transferred to a remote prison in the Arctic Circle. And then, according to prison authorities, last week he collapsed after a walk in the yard and was pronounced dead. He was 47 years old. 
Yes, the reaction to Navalny's death has been worldwide condemnation and outrage. Joe Biden, the US president, directly blamed Vladimir Putin and called Navalny's death yet more proof of Putin's brutality. Our own Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, called Navalny a courageous force for democracy in Russia and said his treatment was unforgivable. And speaking of democracy in Russia, such as it is, Navalny's death comes just a month before Russia is to hold its presidential election. Mm, And this is the first presidential election since 2018 when Navalny was barred from running himself. But just like that election... These ones that are happening next month are widely seen as a sham, designed purely to re-elect Vladimir Putin and give him another six years in power. Right, because any other critics of Putin are either in jail or have fled into exile. Or, in the case of Alexei Navalny, have been killed. And even though the presidential election is basically a done deal for Putin, it still matters to the world because of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Right. So the theory of some political scientists is that Putin is going to use the moment of his election to legitimise his war in Ukraine, with the idea being that if Putin gets an overwhelming proportion of the vote, which he is expected to, then that does look like an endorsement for him to continue his invasion of Ukraine. And that matters because Russia's war in Ukraine is starting to put all of Europe on edge. Now, we've talked before about how US funding for Ukraine is suddenly on shaky ground. And European leaders have begun to realise that if the US steps back and Russia takes Ukraine, there isn't much between Russia and the rest of mainland Europe. Which is why we've seen, since the invasion of Ukraine in 2022, European nations have been increasing their investment in defence. Germany, for example, has committed to building up its army to become fit for war, which is something that they haven't had since World War II. Yeah, it's really starting to get tense over there. And just to return to Alexei Navalny to finish off this episode, his death is a pretty stark signal to other anti-Putin forces within Russia that any kind of opposition could end in their death. At this point, we just don't know whether Navalny's colleagues will be able to continue their fight against Putin's Russia, but we do know that they are going to keep trying. Exactly. And just in the last few days, Alexei Navalny's wife released a video statement in which she promised to continue to fight for our country, saying, we need to use every opportunity to fight against the war, against corruption, against injustice to fight to take our country back, the beautiful Russia of the future, of which my husband dreamed so much. And that is your shortcut to Alexei Navalny. Now, on to our recommendations. Each week on the podcast, we like to give extra reading, listening or watching on the topic. And this week, I'm going to point readers towards anything and everything written by Masha Gessen, who is a Russian dissident who knew Alexei Navalny and who wrote about his death for The New Yorker. Yes, so many good articles in there. And I'm going to be recommending that everyone watch the 2022 Oscar winning documentary called Navalny, which really goes into the detail about his attempted poisoning, including those calls you mentioned Alex, where the spies admit on the phone that they did it. I think that one's on SBS On Demand. You can watch that for free at the moment. Yeah, absolutely is. And that is it for us today. If you like what you heard, please tell people about the podcast. And if you have any requests, you can send them through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.
G'day, I'm Kate Watson, co-host of News Club. News Club this week was an interview with Lauren Sams. She's the fashion editor at the Australian Financial Review. She's all over the business of fashion and retail, so I pulled her in to talk to us about fast fashion and ultra-fast fashion. In particular, businesses like Timu and Shein, who in Australia alone are on track to record more than $2 billion in sales. Here's a clip from that conversation. What is happening is that it's recalibrating fashion as a single-use item. Mm. So when you think about something that's 6 or $7, you know, my, I bought coffee this morning and that was $5.50. And that that's a single-use item to me. You know, I, I have my coffee. Like actually is, like you cannot use that twice. No. <laughs> and so when you're talking about a dress yeah. that's sort of an equivalent price – People equate it with something that doesn't need to be valued. Um, You don't need to wear it again. To listen to the full interview, just search for News Club in your podcast app and hit follow.